Hello again, witches, seekers, and friends, and welcome to the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast, the show where we do a little ranting, raving, and wand waving. I'm your host, Paige, and together we're going to explore magic and spirituality, social justice, the psychic realm, and most importantly, our ancestors. Hello, witches, and thank you so much for tuning in to my episode today. This is episode 53, and I'm very excited to have a special guest on today, who is Mallory Vaudoise. Her book, Honoring Your Ancestors, comes out this Sunday, September the 8th. So we're going to get a little bit of a preview of what that book is about. Now I'm going to have to start by apologizing just a little bit. I apparently had some issue with my microphone while Mallory and I were recording our interview. Now she sounds perfect, obviously, right? <laughs> She's actually a very engaging um, person to interview. It was really great. But my parts are a little bit quiet and they're also a little bit simultaneously noisy. I sound very far away. I'm going to have to apologize for that. Through the magic of editing, I have made it much more normal. So you shouldn't be getting, you know, ear blowouts or what have you. But I just wanted to make sure to mention that for anyone who's got some sensitive hearing, uh, this episode could pose some problems. Hopefully you guys will be able to hear everything. And since you can hear everything that Mallory says, I'm hoping that you will still get a good preview of honoring your ancestors. Before we get to the interview, I want to talk about the book a little bit. I really loved this book. I gave it a five crystal ball rating and it earned every single one of those. As you'll hear in the interview, maybe, <laughs> I actually have been looking for a book that talks about ancestor veneration for kind of a while, something that could appeal to the people in my private group in the book club, something that could appeal to a bunch of different people, in other words. And though I, I found quite a few books that talked about it or mentioned it, a lot of them were very specific to a certain tradition or culture. Uh, for example, a lot were Native American. And I didn't want to, first of all, I didn't want to be a white person <laughs> trying to teach other white people about Native American magic. Uh, <laughs> that's just not how I roll. Um, but like I said, I wanted something that uh, appealed to a more broad group of people. And I had kind of given up. <laughs> I couldn't find anything that I really liked when Mallory emailed me. And uh, right in her email sent me a digital copy of the books. The book, I started it right away. And within two chapters, I was like, oh my God, this is exactly the book that I was looking for. So this book really hit all of those nails on the head. It explains what ancestor veneration is. It explains who ancestors are and then gives you tools to develop your own ancestor pa uh, practice that fits in with how you already practice or your family or your cultural heritage or what have you. She gives you the tools to create your own ancestor practice. Now, she is an Italian person. Italian witches, right? There's so many of us. Any more Italian witches want to come on the show, you let me know. Uh, she is an Italian witch. So in the book, she references that quite a bit. So Catholicism does come up, uh, the saints especially. But I didn't find that to be an overbearing influence, like can happen sometimes. Like I said, I wanted to keep it, I wanted a book that could appeal to everyone and teach everyone how to connect with and talk to and work with their ancestors in their spiritual practice. My favorite chapter in the book was the one on building an ancestor altar. 
So she talks about what she has on her altar and how she uses it on a regular basis. What kinds of things you can put on your ancestor altar. Who are ancestors? Are they just family that's passed on or is there something more? I loved this chapter and as soon as I finished it, I went and started making my own ancestor altar. I actually like cleared off a whole wall of space and started putting up pictures of my family, which I didn't have up beforehand. Sounds awful, but I've talked about my family a little bit on here and maybe you guys understand. And I instantly felt a difference in the house. I felt like there were more people hanging out, <laughs> if that makes sense. There was kind of an influx of energy after I put the altar up. Now, most of that energy has been very positive and it's given me a place where I can, you know, say hi to my Noni every day. She leaves money around the house for me. So I put a star-shaped bowl right in front of one of her pictures on my altar, my favorite pictures ever. And uh, every week I add some green rice to it and I just say thank you. When I need bus fare or something, I take it from there. And when I come home, any of the change that I have in my purse or my pockets goes back into the bowl and I say thank you. I have never run out of change. <laughs> like my, it seems like my bus passes are even lasting a little longer. The transfers, it's great. It's very great. Um, but some of the energy that changed a little bit was not so happy. Um, I've talked about my difficult relationship with my mother before. Well, she learned how to do that from her difficult relationship with her very difficult mother. I have, who died. She died when I was about a year and a half old, I believe. So Meme died a really long time ago. And since then, her former husband, Pepe, <laughs> has remarried to a lady named Jane, who's absolutely wonderful, right? Pepe is actually very ill right now. And uh, he, he could die anytime. Hopefully we get some more time with him, of course. Um, but that's something we've had to be prepared for. So I have this beautiful old photograph of the two of them and I put it right up on my wall right there and seeing him every day makes me kind of smile. But it also, it shows me some, you know, his expression in this photo and I know it's an older picture, but his expression is so different from who he is now. You know, he's, um, he's a very happy, cute, very chill grandpa that likes to, you know, <laughs> He likes to check out his pond and watch the birds and he's just lovely, right? And in this photograph, he looks very stuffy and, you know, his shoulders are all the way back and he he looks uncomfortable. And I was like, you know, I have never seen that look on his face. And then I started to kind of feel like there was an energy around here that's not so happy. I have a feeling it's her. It might not be. I might be wrong. So if she hears me and she's mad, um... Sorry, but I, I do have a feeling it's her. So another chapter in honoring your ancestors is called Healing Ancestral Trauma. And there is this really great, not very difficult ritual for helping to heal ancestral trauma through other ancestors, right? Back beyond the point where we've come. And it's a ritual for elevating a troubled ancestor. And it's not just to, you know, make things easier for me. What this ritual does is help that ancestor in death. If they're still struggling or if they're still in pain in death. I mean, most people who cause pain do it because they're in pain. And that is very possible when it, when it comes to my, um, 
my grandmother. But um, so there's a there's a really beautiful ritual for elevating an ancestor, and it's one that I'm planning to do very very soon. And I told my family about it, and they're like, "That actually sounds lovely." And what I'm really hoping for is that I can help not only Mimi be a little bit more calm or a little more happy, a little bit more comfortable in her afterlife. But what I'm hoping this will do, according to the book, is kind of help heal a lot of that pain that has made its way down the line. So I'm hoping this will also be a ritual that makes my mom feel a lot better. So like I said, that was in the first three chapters. Right away, I was like, this is exactly what I need. Exactly what I need. I loved the book. It was incredibly easy to follow. There were journal prompts in every single Every single section had journal prompts that were very insightful and that really helped me understand what I was reading a lot more because it helped me apply it to my own family and my own life and like our own ancestral and cultural traditions, right, which are different for everybody. So I love the book, Building My Ancestor Altar. I'm still adding to it all the time and the energy that it's brought into my home has been so great, so energizing, so empowering. I've gotten more things done around the house and at work. Since I put it up, I felt a lot more supported and I feel a lot less alone. And so I think the altar is really doing its job. I think so anyways. As long as I keep it up, I should be fine. So if you want to read this whole review, this five crystal ball review for honoring your ancestors by Mallory Vaudoise. That will appear on my website at thefatfeministwitch.com later today, probably after dinner time is when it will publish. So you can find it there. In the meantime, you will have to continue and listen to my interview with the author and listen to her talk about her own ancestor, her own practice, the reasons she wrote this book. We also talk about the Tarantella, an Italian, a Southern Italian dance and her dance teacher, Alessandra Belloni. I'm going to put some links to Alessandra's YouTube videos in the description for this episode, because I really think you guys should check out the Tarantella. She teaches through this dance and through these classes. She helps women, especially about people. She helps women um, heal sexual and emotional trauma through this ecstatic dance practice. So I highly, highly recommend checking it out. Like I said, I will be putting a link in the description and her name is Alessandra Baloni. Okay. I wanted to make sure to say that because it's very, very, very cool. And I didn't know a lot about the Tarantella before reading this book. I'm not Southern Italian. I'm Northern Italian, right? We're on the opposite side. I didn't know a lot about it at all. So even I learned a lot more about Italian heritage and ancestors specifically reading the book. I loved it. So <laughs> so without a whole bunch more stalling, here is my interview with Mallory Vaudoise about honoring our ancestors. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Paige. It's uh, really a delight to be here, and I'm happy to be sharing the book with you. I'm really excited that you came out to share the book, especially as we get closer to, you know, um, connecting with our ancestors and with spirits becomes such a serious topic. 
yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think for a lot of people who come from like a pagan or a Wiccan background, that's an explicit thing. You know, you have holidays like Samhain, which are explicitly about spirits of the dead um, coming back and sort of rejoining us in this world. Uh, It's a time when mediumship and divination is very popular. But also even for people who don't necessarily have that type of a background or that type of a training, uh, it's very natural, I think, for us to kind of go back to our roots during this time. And uh, for anybody who has studied magical or medicinal herbalism, that's what the plant world is doing right now. The energy is all going down into the roots, into the land, into the underworld, um, where it's making a, a special type of magic. And even for those of us who grow up in a very secular society, this is a time of year that is just inextricably interwoven for most of us with uh, our memories of going to school as a kid. You know, that like back to school attitude when, you know, you're buying books and reading books and, you know, studying new things and getting really excited about, um, you know, opening a new chapter in your life, so to speak. what you say about the plants you know we're going to ground because that's really how it feels for me in a place with four seasons it really does feel like yeah i feel the same way really and actually we're recording this in late summer um and i'm already sort of starting to feel it Uh, I live in the Northern Hemisphere as well. I live in New York. And uh, recently, we've just started to have the first couple of days where the unbearable, muggy, humid summer heat is starting to, um, like, break for a day or two. And it'll be a little bit cooler. And so it's this kind of, like, roller coaster ride of, like, you know, summer and then the start of fall. And then summer and then the start of fall. And as that's happening... I can feel these types of internal processes that we're talking about where, you know, the energy in my body is shifting and I'm aware of the beings around me and how the energy in their body is shifting and the impact that this is happening to my spiritual relationship with my ancestors as well. Yeah, and with the. I love that your book's coming out right at the perfect time. Yeah. chose the word ancestor veneration because the root of the word veneration is actually the same root of the word uh, Venus. It is a root meaning to wish, to love, to desire something. And to me, that felt a little bit more close to what I was trying to capture in the book than a word like uh, worship, for example. Um, Because it really is about, for me, engaging in a relationship of love. And 
that like any kind of love, you know, like just like the love with your living family the love with your partner, the love with your friends can be challenging at times. Um, it's not about putting your ancestors up on a pedestal and uh, worshiping them the same way that you might worship, uh, you know, a God who's up high and remote. It's about uh, honoring the fact that that relationship already exists between you and your ancestors and that through work on both sides, that relationship can have more harmony, more flow, uh, more understanding. And so I really wrote the book in part to show people that you can take ownership over your story, your narrative, and reconnect with your ancestors or deepen an existing connection with them in order to receive their guidance and blessing. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm so glad that you picked up on that um, because really as an author, my goal has always been with this book to make sure that people feel inspired, excited, and unblocked in their relationship. Because when you think about it, writing a book about honoring your ancestors. It's like writing a book about how to have a good relationship with your parents or how to have a happy marriage or how to raise children. There's no one right or wrong way to do that. And it's pretty presumptuous of me if I were to assume that what has worked for me will work for everyone. Um, and so my goal as an author was really just to make sure that people felt like they had the license to follow their own intuition, their own desire, their own, um, you know, the, whatever is leading them through this, their spirit, if you will. Um, and at the same time, part of part of that, part of keeping people unblocked when they're following their desire is also making sure that if they have um, blank page syndrome, they're not sure where to start, there is a reasonable, easy ritual that they can just do. Um, and to keep the focus on, on the action and on making sure that uh, the reader is able to continue taking whatever steps feel appropriate to them along their own path. based on Catholicism and you know permanent value family we didn't go to church or anything so I was a little bit nervous but I was very impressed with how like whatever your religious are working with the ancestors it all seems very universal there was no you know explicitly Catholic or explicitly I really really Yeah, and everybody has ancestors. So it makes sense that like you can take a kind of ecumenical approach. And there are times in the book where I encourage people more to uh, maybe explore if it feels comfortable to them, their own family spiritual traditions, or find ways to incorporate their ancestors into whatever their spiritual practice is now, even if that's not the same as the spiritual practice that they were raised in.
so on. Oh, that's such a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> so, um, so I am of an Italian background. My mother's side of the family is from Naples, and my father's side of the family is from Abruzzo. And uh, for me, I've had the opportunity, in part through this work and through the guidance that I've received from my ancestors to study in some of my uh, ancestral drumming traditions. And in Southern Italy, the drum itself is so, so, so important to the, what we might call folk Catholic religious practice. So it's not the Catholicism that you find uh, necessarily in a church being taught by a priest or a nun. It is the Catholicism of the people, which is why we call it folk Catholicism. Um, and the drum is really, really important in rituals that are devoted to the Madonna, uh, the mother of God, this, this kind of almost godlike figure herself, um, who's very much associated with the earth, certain places of power and the fertility of the earth, as well as uh, rituals of exorcism. When somebody is possessed by a spirit, usually a, a spirit of the dead and needs to be able to dance out that spirit. And so having studied these uh, traditions, has really enormously impacted the way I think about what my ancestors thought Catholicism was. <laughs> um, because when people think of Catholicism, they don't necessarily think of a ritual like the Festa de Serpari in Abruzzo, where uh, the townspeople capture a bunch of snakes and then dump them on top of a statue of San Domenico and then parade the snaky statue through the streets. Um, so clearly there's uh, a kind of blurry line for anybody, even if your most recent ancestors, the ones that you remember personally, were quite Christian or uh, quite atheist and weren't very comfortable with maybe the numinous or the magical or the pagan, uh, it's guaranteed that your ancestors have only been Christian for up to 2019 years, I guess. Um, they, after that, you know, that, that was not the case. Um, and when we talk about ancestor veneration, we're really tapping into the entirety of the human story beyond the past uh, 200 years, beyond the past 2000, and going way, way back to the origins of humanity and uh, even going through those origins and reconnecting with the rest of the web of life. And uh, that includes non-human life. Um, so I do find in my personal practice that it can be helpful for me and my ancestors and where our relationship is right now to have one place where I do primarily Catholic things. Um, so I have statues of the saints there and my most recent ancestors who have passed away. And that's where I say more traditional Catholic prayers like the Requiem prayer, which I include in the book um, for their benefit. 
And then I have a place where I feel free to honor my line, including the pagan ancestors, and to honor them in ways which are um, maybe a little bit more raw and a little bit more uh, pagan-seeming than that. And that could include more food offerings, more drumming, more smoke, more, um, more of those types of things that might not necessarily fit in as well in the uh, what I think of as like the tame altar. <laughs> um, and that's just what works for me and what works for me right now. For somebody else, they may find that it's better to keep it all, all together or they may lean more heavily on one of those forms of devotion than the other. Or they might not want to have an altar at all. They might want to go directly out into nature or uh, you know, go visit the cemetery where their most recent ancestors are buried. Um, but you can kind of see even just through uh, that little explanation that I gave, uh, there's a mirroring that's happening between the way that my altars are set up and the way that I perceive my ancestral line based on a combination of my, uh, you know, my experience with my own family and then the research that I've done as an adult into the religious traditions of the region that they're from, which has extended my awareness beyond what uh, I remember from my own lifetime and, and growing up around my grandparents and into uh, a much deeper uh, awareness that stretches back further in time and includes things that might seem very strange to me as the child of immigrants who lost a lot of those traditions. Yes. later in adulthood because these traditions were some of the things that were very explicitly targeted by the American Catholic Church uh, and also by general kind of, um, you know, secular society and the prejudice that was faced by recent immigrants from Italy to the United States. Uh, these were seen as evidence that Italians, particularly Southern Italians, were an inherently pagan people, a people without real culture, without real religion. And so they were always under fire. And much like, you know, our beautiful regional languages, which sometimes get called dialects, uh, they were targeted for a kind of cultural erasure. And that is why we see the survival of a lot of the official ecclesiastical feasts. So, for example, the feast days of the saints are still very popular in uh, New York, where I live, and in other places that have a lot of Italian immigrants. And you can go and you can attend the mass that is said in honor of St. Anthony. And you can buy your little saint medallions and your special oils from the church and then go 
along the procession and maybe, um, you know, pin a dollar bill on the saint for good luck. Uh, and that's all alive and well, but then these dances, which are so erotic and sensual and, uh, trance inducing, those are the things that are harder and harder to find. And it is only thanks to the work of people like Alessandra that we're seeing a resurgence of these dances, both in Italy and in Italian diasporic communities uh, throughout the world. Um, and I think that it is just absolutely vital for people to, uh, even if you're not going to study drumming seriously, even if you're not going to study the dance uh, with, with a lot of depth, uh, just knowing that it's there, just seeing the videos can be very healing. Um, and who knows, maybe you'll end up at a show with me someday and we can go dancing together. Like, it's a, you know, it's a small world. The, the, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> but yeah, like the energy and the emotion in that dancing was like, like I could feel it coming through that screen, that YouTube screen, and I actually like I ended up crying for a little while. Mm. Really, really interesting. As another Italian person who kind of had to connect with that, with that part of my culture in adulthood, like by myself. <laughs> mm hmm. A lot of Italian things, so I love. I love the, the focus on some of your more specifically Italian. Yeah. Okay. So something I wanted to ask that kind of matches up is that when it comes to our ancestors, especially the ones that really have existed just for these last years, a lot of time. Uh, never really thought about it. Very small chunk of time. Um, I would call on those ancestors specifically the same way that in a prayer, for example, I might call on specifically my ancestors who were teachers or my ancestors who were mothers. Um, however, I think when we own the totality of our ancestral narrative, that's when we become empowered to decide which parts of that current we're carrying, we're going to bring forward into the future. And so when we're put in front of, when we're forced to face the oppressive systems that our ancestors have built that are still here today, that's when we really need to recommit to the work that we can do to dismantle those systems. And understanding that uh, because we carry part of the story of how those things got there, we have a unique way to kind of help dismantle it, help tear them down. Um, so I think that that can actually be sometimes a source of even more even more kind of power when we think about like, what are we committing ourselves to as activists, as political people, as artists, and how are we going to learn from the past in order to build a better future? 
because ultimately we're not our ancestors. We came from them, but we are different beings and we get to make different choices. And we'll only be able to do that if we're able to really internalize the lessons that they learned uh, through their lifetimes. And it, I often feel like I don't want to connect there. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to feel like that's part of me. But it's true that that's just, that's the way the world is. Like a little bit of that so that we can work with it to change things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think another part of it to me was I wanted to remind people that I think one of the the hardest things that you're told when you are, you know, a part of a marginalized community, whether that's due to your gender or your sexuality or your ethnicity, is that you have a history. It's it's something that you might have to go on a journey in order to start discovering more and more of, but you do have a history. And you, when we start doing more of this work, I think some of that history just starts to find us. Like that's definitely been a part of my journey um, in terms of my relationship with my Neapolitan heritage, my Abruzzese heritage, information about my family and about our customs, our, you know, food, our music has just sort of like found its way to me. And that's been a very healing process to remember uh, where my family has come from and the fact that we we didn't just appear out of nowhere one day with my grandparents' generation uh, and, and uh, you know, appear into this country that we didn't really fully belong in. Um, I think when you are able to tap into the fact that you do have a history, you feel so much more, more grounded and you feel like you really have the license to be. And that's one of the great gifts that comes out of ancestor veneration practice is the realization that you don't have to strive to deserve to be the fact that you are is enough. Um, and that's, you know, what happens when your spiritual practices is rooted, like rooted in, uh, as we were talking about earlier, the earth, the chthonic realm, the underworld. Uh, once you have those roots, you have this kind of sense of solidity in your life. Um, and you're free to just kind of to, to be without the pressure to conform to a particular 
form that somebody claims you're supposed to look like or act like or talk like. Um, I always like to tell people that when you understand better who your ancestors are and have a working relationship with them, at that point, nobody gets to tell you who you are anymore because you know. You know where you came from. You know where you're going to. And nobody gets to take that away from you. You've taken control of the narrative for yourself. so glad to hear that. I, I find that with mine as well. Um, sometimes I'll just wander out into the living room just to look at it again. And I might not, I might not do anything. I might not light a candle. I might not even say a prayer. It's just, I want to see it. And that's enough in that moment is to have that kind of, um, visual and tangible reminder of the connection that I've been developing over many years. For me personally, I have a couple of saints and guides who are uh, specific individuals. Uh, some some are Catholic saints, but like in a more uh, again folk Catholic type of understanding, um, and guides as well who specialize in certain types of magic. Um, and so, for example, I have certain guides that I will call on when I am performing. Uh, cardamancy when I'm doing divination through playing cards uh, because that's kind of like their their specialty and the reason why I believe they were initially attracted to me is because of the fact that I read cards too this well maybe not the same exact way that they did but in a very similar way that they did um, and I understand something of the mysteries of taking a you know device that is used uh, for gambling and then using that, to gain spiritual knowledge that I would not have access to otherwise, knowledge of the future, knowledge of the consequences of my actions, um, and so on and so forth. Um, and so I do have representations of those types of ancestors on my altar, but I also am a very, uh, for me, it's very important to switch it up. Um, and so I will often, other than my immediate blood ancestors, my, my grandparents who have passed, um, I will rotate the statues that are on my altar in order to keep it 
physically smaller and the other ones will be in storage for some amount of time. Um, and this helps me to really, you know, focus on who is present in my life at any given point in time, because some saints or guides or other types of uh, spirits who are not blood relations, you know, they may come and they may go. They may disappear for a while or be more like a lot more active in at certain points in the year, um, particularly uh, when we look at like the, uh, you know, the, the calendar of feast days and uh, pagan holy days and the various affinities that these beings may have or not have with um, with what time of year or what time of uh, the lunar calendar it is. Exactly. Or they might just want to take a break, you know? Man, everybody's gonna take a break sometimes. Yeah, yeah. This is we're not internalizing that capitalist logic that you have to be productive twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five and then and then forcing that on Saint Anthony. Saint Anthony needs a nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's a, there's, it's a disease that runs in my mom's family, it's a genetic disease called Ehlers-Danlos, and um, it's pretty popular with my circus performers. Yeah, yeah, they and I put them up there and that made it a, a really nice energy like it felt I, I there's two things about that that I love. One is I love that you were able to celebrate this particular mystery that you share with this group of people, which I think is really you know, a, a lot of what ancestor veneration is about is learning to view even the very mundane details of our human lives as greater mysteries that connect us with the rest of the web of life. But the other thing that I really love about that is you knew you, you had an intuition of what you wanted to do, and then you confirmed by feeling it in your body. You took the action, and then you checked in, and were like, oh, yeah, no, this feels right. Yeah, I, I, you know, I put my little rubber skin man up there, and I was like, yeah, yeah, this is exactly where people belong. And he said, he said, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, exactly. And I really hope, uh, this is something that I stress in the book, I really hope people understand that there's room to play with your ancestor veneration practice. There's room to try things and see if it works. And then if it doesn't, that's okay. You can clear it away. And, you know, if you feel moved to make an apology, you can even do that to smooth things over. But, you know, our ancestors are, they have a vested interest in our well-being. And they also have um, a unique perspective on the totality of who we are and the ways in which we might succeed or potentially mess up uh, that makes them, I think, quite forgiving in general. Um, now, 
they can also be quite stern guides. But when it comes to honest mistakes, you know, they they know that just like a child is going to need to fall on their face sometimes and learn that way, uh, we need to do the same thing. Um, and so ancestor veneration is one of those practices where, you know, there is room to experiment and you're not going to accidentally summon an ancestor demon that's going to eat your face. Um, you, <laughs> you can put up that poster that you uh, feel called to. And, you know, either it's going to feel right, in which case it'll be pretty apparent because, you're, you know, your soul will be at ease and it'll be a whole body reaction. Or if it's not quite working for you, you can always just take it back down. And there's not going to be like, you know, a huge penalty that happens because of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there, there's definitely other magical practices that you know are uh, are quite dangerous, to be frank. And there's definitely other types of spiritual work that um, you know can have very serious consequences if you do it do it incorrectly. Um, but ancestor veneration, I like to say, it's it's like cooking. It is actually rather forgiving. So long as you're paying attention and uh, making sure that you're not consuming undercooked meat or something like that, you know, if you oversalt the soup, just make a little bit more broth and and dilute the saltiness a little bit. Um, and you can play with the flavors and the colors that really call to you and, and have fun with it. It's not like baking, for example, where um, if you don't follow the recipe to a letter, there's a chance that it just won't work and you'll end up with hot soup instead of cake. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some people like one or the other or, or even both. Oh, that's wonderful. I really do hope so. actually why I wanted to uh, write the book initially was um, I had a blog called Italian Folk Magic for several years and what I found was there were a lot of people who were writing to me asking about ancestor veneration because it was a, a topic that would come up kind of tangentially and there wasn't one book that I could just recommend to them and point them to uh, as a as a starting point. Um, there were a couple of, of books out there that 
we're touching on ancestors or ancestor veneration from slightly different angles. Um, but this was really the, you know, the guide that I wanted to have five to 10 years ago. Um, and so I really do hope that, that other people find it helpful as they're going down their own path, um, as a way to kind of, uh, just sort of like keep them again, inspired and make sure that they don't feel blocked. Well, I definitely like to recommend uh, starting very simple. And for me, the perfect way to start is just with a glass of water and a candle, because those are the two primordial elements, fire and water. Uh, and you've also got the light of the candle, which we might think of as the light of the divine, uh, being refracted through the water and uh, resulting in a rainbow that is like, you know, the light of the divine becoming the various manifestations of human beings, of spirits, of our ancestors, uh, in all of our beautiful different colors, uh, and different vibrations. Um, and so what I find is this is something which is very simple, but it does require a little bit of discipline. It does require you to uh, refresh the water every couple of days to a week um, in order to keep it from going murky. Uh, and it is perfect for uh, helping to kind of restore a good spiritual ecosystem within your home. Um, so I like to compare it to, it's almost like a spiritual probiotic. Uh, after a couple of weeks, you'll start to notice that there's more uh, beneficial spiritual presences, including your ancestors and potentially other types of spirit guides that are drawn in and that this is sort of like helping to bolster you, bolster your mood, keep you on the right track, uh, and to potentially inspire more complicated workings, whether those are workings that you do at your altar, and I do give a couple of those in the book, or maybe it's stuff like uh, learning how to cook foods from your ancestral heritage or learning the herbal medicine traditions from your the region of the world that you feel closely identified with. Yeah, I also find that plant medicine and ancestor work really do go together hand in hand. Um, and I think it is, again, in part because of what we were talking about earlier on the show with regard to the relationship that plants have through their roots with the realm of the ancestors and the way that they are kind of constantly acting as these like 
go-betweens between the three worlds. You know, they are collecting the light of the sun and they are also uh, standing in the darkness of the underworld. And yet they're here with us and they're medicine for us. And so they're calling up and down these influences and blending them together and then sharing them with us. Yep. And then they rely on us too. They are taking in the breath. We're sharing a breath with them. So there's that uh, very intimate cyclic bond between us and the green kingdom, so to speak. Yeah, I, I explicitly in the book call them my elders. So um, <laughs> I guess I'm a bit of a suck up. <laughs> <laughs> or like the first time that you meet a plant that you've only read about before and you're like oh my god it's like meeting a celebrity <laughs> oh my god yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's like a celebrity sighting. And they don't grow here. I was on vacation. I was like, oh my god. You're <laughs> yeah. It was like a celebrity sighting. That's really funny. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. That does uh, I think that was all of the plan. Is there anything else that you want to say about uh, working with you? Or about the books specifically that you want people to know? Yeah, I think I would just love to um, remind people that ancestor veneration really is for everyone. Like we all have ancestors, we've all come from some place. And I know that for some people, the topic can be a little bit intimidating, particularly if uh, either you do not know a lot about your ancestors yet, your blood ancestors specifically yet, um, or if you have a uh, a tense or potentially even um, abusive relationship with your living family or uh, recently deceased family members. Um, but for me, part of the way that I've kind of worked through, uh, you know, my own, my own, uh, the ways that shades of those issues have manifested in my life is by reconnecting with the entirety of my ancestral line and feeling connected with not just the past 2200, 2000 years of history, but with uh, the whole of it um, and the ways in which my direct blood lineage connects me to the rest of humanity and the rest of life. The, you know, the more degrees of separation we start to include in that equation. And I think that for a lot of people, when you start to, again, take ownership of the narrative of who your ancestors were and what your relationship is with them and the ways in which you have worked to, uh, you know, heal, restore, or, um, you know, just kind of like move into the driver's seat in, in that particular car. Um, 
the easier it is to kind of um, uh, reconcile your own past and uh, in, in terms of like your own particular lifetime and the longer past that you have access to. Um, so I think that, you know, even for people who maybe don't feel an immediate connection to their ancestors, sometimes those are the people who have the most to gain from building a veneration practice that works for them and that feels natural and doesn't feel, doesn't feel tacky or like they're forcing it. Um, but which acknowledges whatever it is that might be holding them back right now, whether that is pain, shame, or, um, just a general kind of, uh, feeling of lack of information. I'm really glad to hear that you've been having that experience too, Paige. And, and that's definitely, you know, I've heard that a lot from people who have read the book or who have participated in the online course that it was based off of. Um, and I just want to make sure that other people have the, you know, the opportunity to feel that way, regardless of whether they end up reading the book or not. Um, I hope even just listening to this podcast has helped a couple people to um, think about their relationship with their ancestors in a different way. and actually for reaching out. Um, I, I enjoyed the book and I love the conversation and I really hope it gets more people interested in connecting with ancestors in a magical way. Oh, well, thank you again for having me. This was great. Wasn't that a great episode? Mallory was just a just a fantastic person to interview. I remember as soon as it was done, I was like, oh, great. That went so well. That was exactly what I wanted. It sounds like perfect, right? And then I, I listened to the audio and I was like, oh, great. I messed it up completely. Of course. <laughs> Hopefully, you were still able to get from this interview what I found so, so captivating about this book and about Mallory herself. If you want to get your own copy of the book, it is released September 8th. It's currently available to pre-order. And I think you should recommend it at your local witchy shops and libraries so that everybody can have this way to work with their family, with their ancestors, and to heal using magic. So as I mentioned in the, in the interview, I've decided to pick this book for our book club in The Witch and Bitch, which you can find at patreon.com slash thefatfeministwitch. It's $10 to join. I pick a book for us to read and, you know, study with and be inspired by over the course of two months. And I chose this one because we are getting to that time when it's time to connect with the dead, connect to ancestors, explore our roots, 
all of that really fun, spooky stuff, right? (laughs) It is also the time to get a little extra smart and get back to school, you know, crack them books, which is why next week, right here on the podcast, I'm going to be doing an entire episode about books, books. My favorite witchy books, the ones I use all the time, my favorite books that have come out this year, I'm going to talk about how to start your own grimoire or book of shadows or how to work with a spiritual journal and some rituals to get it started, to kick it off, to keep it protected, to bring further inspiration every time you open it up. I'm a huge book nerd, so I'm incredibly excited. to talk about nothing but books for at least a solid hour. And I really hope you guys will show up. So that will come out on Thursday, September 12th, right before Friday the 13th, (laughs) when we also have a full moon. So this is going to be a really fun fall season, I think. If you're a fall and music loving witch like I am, you can go onto Spotify and find the playlist called Fat Witch Fall. You can also find it through my website, in all of my social media, every Friday, I will be updating the playlist, adding a few more songs that get us closer and closer to Halloween. So they'll become increasingly spooky or Halloween cheesy. I'm updating Friday the 6th, so that's tomorrow. And again, Friday the 13th, I will have a whole bunch of fun songs about luck and lucky magic and getting lucky, of course. So <laughs> check out Fat Witch Fall. Again, you can find that on my website at thefatfeministwitch.com. If you want to support the show financially, you can do that by joining the Patreon club I mentioned earlier, or you can go to my website and click buy me a coffee. But reviews, plays, shares, all of that really, really helps and keeps the podcast going. So thank you so much to all of you who are listening. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. I hope those of you who are back to school are having a really, really good time already. I love school. (laughs) I'm a nerd. Uh, But I hope you're already having a really great back to school season and that the fall is hitting you as hard as it's hitting us here. Jazzed. So excited for fall. It's the season of the witch, friends. So have a fantastic weekend. And thank you so much for tuning into the Beth Feminist Witch podcast today. 